Hey, what's up guys, Travis here. And if you've been following me or my story for any length of time, you know that I started a company called Guestio about a year and a half ago now. And one of the things that we are doing this year in 2022 is we're building a concierge program called the Fast Pass that allows you to get booked on top quality shows and platforms for the purpose of spreading awareness for your brand, grabbing attention, uh, growing your credibility, your authority, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you are listening to this right now and you are a seven figure plus entrepreneur and you have a budget to bring in traffic, attention, credibility, authority to your brand, then this might be a really great program for you. Just head over to travischapel.com slash 10K. Why 10K? Because we guarantee in this program that you're going to be able to speak in front of 10,000 people within 90 days. Okay, 10,000 people within 90 days. Imagine getting on a stage in front of 10,000 people to share your message, your story. That's exactly what we are doing inside of this program through virtual stages like podcasts or virtual events or YouTube channels or blogs. You name it, we are working with it, and we are trying to get you booked on those platforms. So travischapel.com slash 10x. There's a quick application there, and then right at the end of that application, it'll prompt you to set up a phone call where you'll jump on a call with me, and we'll talk through whether or not you're a great fit for this program. Please act fast on this. Do not wait because we are only taking on one or two clients a week due to uh, constraints with our team and the limited supply of high quality shows and platforms that are out there in the market. So if that's you and you're really wanting to explode your brand in 2022, head over to travischapel.com slash 10K, fill out the application, schedule a quick phone call, and you and I will chat really soon about whether or not this would be a great fit for you. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. Hey, this is Brian Clayton, co-founder, CEO of GreenPal. If you want to learn how to build a better relationship, you should start listening to Build Your Network podcast by my good friend, Travis Chappell. Welcome to the show. I'm Travis Chappell, and I chat with some of the world's top business influencers, thought leaders, and entrepreneurs in order to crack the code of networking. I believe that who you know is more important than what you know, and that your relationships ultimately determine the person that you become. So if you want to learn the new way of connecting, if you want to fill your network with quality people and skyrocket your results, then you're in the right place because this is the Build Your Network Podcast. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Build Your Network Podcast. Today, I'm sitting down with Brian Clayton. Brian is the co-founder and CEO of GreenPal, described as Uber for lawn mowing. GreenPal matches homeowners with local lawn mowing services throughout the United States. Before founding GreenPal, Brian founded Peach Tea Incorporated, a regional landscaping company in Nashville, Tennessee, growing that business from zero to 150 employees and ultimately acquired by Lusa Holdings in 2013. In his free time, Brian enjoys hiking, martial arts, long distance running, and volunteering with Achilles International, a group assisting in the training of disabled athletes for competitive events. Guys, it's going to be such a great conversation that I have with Brian. I can't wait to get into it. But first off, really quickly, if you're a six or seven figure entrepreneur and you find yourself in need of having a podcast, you know how beneficial it would be for your brand, for your network, for your authority, your credibility, for book deals or booking stages or whatever it is that your goals are, but you just don't have the time, team, or resources 
resources to figure out the tech side, the background, the, how to get it actually started and out into the world, then go ahead and have my team build it for you. Head over to travischapel.com slash make my podcast. Travischapel.com slash make my podcast. There's a quick application there. Then we'll jump on a phone call to see if we'd be a good fit to build out a show for you so that you can focus on what you're good at, which is servicing your clients. We can focus on what we're good at, which is building world-class chart-topping podcasts. That's travischapel.com slash make my podcast. Brian, what's happening, man? Thank you so much for joining me on the show. My pleasure, Travis. Glad to be here. Yes, sir. Well, like, man, it's it's funny. Before we hit the record button, I was telling you, as I mean, as an entrepreneur, we're all over the place, and we all have these crazy ideas all the time. And it's just something about some ideas that you end up rolling with, and then some ideas you don't end up rolling with. And the idea of doing an Uber type company for landscaping was an idea that I had a few years back, and I just never ended up doing with anything with it. So it was really cool to see um, your bio come across my desk and be like, oh, wow, someone actually did something with this and it actually works. So uh, yeah, I was, I was super stoked to bring you on the show, man. Awesome, man. Awesome. I'm glad, to, I'm glad to be here and I'm happy to share my experience building that company from scratch. Yes, sir. Let's do it. So before we go into that, let's go into what possessed you to go along this crazy entrepreneurship path. So let's turn back the clock all the way back to, let's say, junior high, high school. Talk to me about like 13, 14 year old Brian. What were you up to back then? Yeah, great question. So I'm a lifelong entrepreneur. I've never had a job. I've never had a boss. And I built my first company, Peachtree Incorporated, uh, from just myself and a push mower mowing yards to over 150 employees as one of the biggest landscaping companies in the state of Tennessee over about a 15-year period of time. Wow. And, and so to, to your point, I got started mowing yards in high school. That's I awesome. needed a way to make a, extra money and, and and one day I was playing Super Nintendo. I was playing, I was playing Mario Kart. I remember it. And my dad came up to my room and said, hey, we got a job to do. We're going to go mow the neighbor's yard. And I did, not want to, I did not want to take that job, but he made me. <laughs> and we, we took us two hours and we made 20 bucks and he split it with me. And I think he did that as, as, a, as a lesson. And ever since then, I was hooked. Something about working for myself. And back then, in the, in the 90s, 10, 10 bucks is a lot of money to me. And I, and I was hooked. And by the time I was 18 years old, I, I was mowing 50, 60 clients' uh, properties every week. Wow. And then throughout, throughout college. Every week? Every week, yeah. Just, wow. just me as a teenager. And I built that business little by little, uh, all with cash. And, and just bootstrapped my way to over $8 million a year in, in annual revenue at the time the company was acquired in 2013. That's amazing, man. It's so funny because that's actually something that we also have in common is that that was my first business was landscaping, mowing lawns and putting in lawns for like real estate investors and, and all that stuff. And I was 16 when I, when I started that, which sounds like about when, when you started yours, but you took it way farther than I ever did. That's for, that's for sure. Oh, I, man, I tell you, it was a lot of fun building that business. And I was lucky that my dad forced me to mow that that first yard. <laughs> yeah. What, what, what was your dad also entrepreneurial? No, or? he was a military guy. And, okay. but he believed that everybody in the house needed to be pulling their weight. Mm. And, and he, and he and had something the, to that, huh? Something right. to that, like taking responsibility for yourself at a young age. Right. And he had the, the forward thinking to help. To, he knew that, that the only way I was going to learn that for myself was just to get that taste of the, of, 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 of a dollar earned yeah. and what that felt like and not have to wait on my allowance or, or anything like right. that just to go out and hustle. He knew, he knew uh, that I needed to learn that lesson and really 
taught it to me at a, at a prime moment in my life. So how did you build that business? How did you, as a teenager, go from zero lawns that you were mowing to 50, 60 lawns a week that you were mowing, you know, still being in high school? I hustled up a lot of my, my early customers just by passing out flyers, just paper in the mailbox, hanging it on the doors. And I focused just in my neighborhood where I lived. And then over time, you know, word of mouth and, and we did a re- really good job on, on every, every lawn that we mowed. By the time I was 22 years old, you know, in college, I had five employees and just, just little, little by little, I tried to grow the business 30, 40% every year without taking on any outside debt and, and a lot of trial and error. Back then in the late nineties, early two thousands, we didn't have things like this. We didn't have podcasts sure. that we could just tune into or YouTube you know, if you wanted to learn this stuff. You really kind of had to learn it on your own, yep. and and that's really the way I, I learned it. I could have, I, I could have done in three years what took me fifteen. Now that I know how to do it, but <laughs> I just I just had to learn it the hard way. And and luckily I, I chose the debt free route of building that company because that's in many reasons why I was able to sell the business when I did because it was debt free. Yeah. So you were you were at the time running a successful business, but you still, you said you were in college. So right. talk to me about what you went to college for. And was there any time during that where you're like, Hey, why am I doing this when this is already being this successful? Totally. It, it uh, my mom was a professor at the college that I was attending. And so I kind of wanted to finish just, 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 you know, in her honor, because she was a doctor is a doctor of, uh, of English literature. And so I didn't want to like drop out and quit. I wanted to to finish a, a lot for that reason, but I studied business and yes, to your point, there were many times when, you know, I was making six figures while I was in school, just working my butt off in the landscaping business and, and my call, you know, my, my peers were graduating and in that time making 35, $40,000 a year. I thought, man, there's just no way. Cause at the time I really hadn't thought about pursuing this as a, as a, as a long-term business, but, I, there was just no no option when I graduated that I wasn't going to take a sixty thousand dollar a year haircut. I was just going to go full speed ahead on building that company, mm. and I'm glad I did because uh, at the time I could have gone either way. I could have I could have folded it and gone into the into my own career, but nothing really jumped out at me. And and I really did love and still do love being an entrepreneur. I love being in control of my own destiny. Yeah. So tell me first, like top two or three lessons that you learned building that business from scratch and really yeah. bootstrapping and having to learn everything along the way. Like what were a couple things that you figured out that you had to learn or be aware of or master to some form of competency that when you you know were starting off in high school and college, you had no idea that was going to be part of your job description? Yeah, totally. I guess at a, at a wide, like a macro level is just, just the philosophy of working on your business and not working in your business. Hmm. It's a, it's a simple, it's a simple notion, but a lot of business owners and entrepreneurs don't get it. They think if they're just hustling 10, 15 hours a day working in their business, that, that success will come. And the reality is, is you have to balance that, especially in the early days, working on your business and working yeah. in your business. And yeah. And it really just depends on, you know, what your goals are for success, you know, cause like, I feel like, I feel like people get in that mindset when they're okay with like 
barely pulling six figures. Right. You know, like those are the people that, you know, like they're working in their business all the time and right. they don't necessarily need to or want to or realize that in order to scale past that, that they have to be able to work on their business rather than in their business. And so for somebody like you to take something that you bootstrapped, started from absolutely nothing and then took to a, you know, almost eight, uh, almost eight figure per year in annual revenue business before you exited, like there was, there had to be a point where you were like, okay, well, I obviously can't scale this the way that I can scale this if I'm still mowing lawns and pulling weeds, right? Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, and so that's in a weird way, you know, you can, you can work 12, 13 hour days in your business. And in many ways you're taking the easy way out yeah, because the, the working on your business is much harder because it requires just those mental cycles of mm-hmm. building systems, of building processes, of, of, of thinking ahead and trying to figure out, okay, how do I, how do I automate this little piece to where I don't have to do that anymore? And how do I delegate this to, to, to where I can leverage myself to do other things. And a lot of times, and a lot of times higher stress levels because of the higher risk that you have to take. Right. Right. Yeah. That's the big thing that I've realized for sure is that, it seems like the more I go to work on my business, the more risk that I'm taking because I have to give away control to some other, you know, person or third party or agency or take a big risk on this new investment because I need to be able to go do this other thing. Whereas if I was just working in my business and being the, you know, every single aspect of my business, like sure, I would save a little bit of money, eh, but you know, I would, I would not be growing near right. the, the rate that I would want to be growing at. And, and in many cases, we just own ourselves a job. That's basically yeah, it. Totally. You yep. know, we just started ourselves. A, we're self-employed, but we own a, own a job. Yeah. Nobody tells us what to do, but except for your bank account. <laughs> exactly. And yeah. so, I mean, there's pros and cons to each. Don't get me wrong. But if you want to build a real profitable business, you got to think systems. You got to think delegation. You got to think sure. working on it. And that took me years to learn. I didn't know that when I got started. Yeah, and I think I think really the thing is is asking yourself what do you want to be doing in a decade or two decades from now. Bingo. Because if if you're if you're in that you know uh, working in your business thing, then that's going to be a grind that you can never stop. You know, right. you you will always have to do that. And right. if that's okay with you, great, do your thing. I'm not somebody to impose my own goals or will on other people, but I think that most people never took the time to figure out if that's where they want to end up. So they just are caught in the rat race and just spinning their wheels, doing the same thing over and over again, when they don't realize that that's where they're headed. That's the destination of the journey that they're on, where if they really wanted to be able to just like stop working or sell and exit a business or, you know, or, or, or just become a real owner where the business owns, where the business operates itself and grows by itself without you being involved in it. Like, that's really where the magic is in owning a business and becoming a real owner and not just like you said, owning a job instead of, you know, having a job. So I agree a hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So talk to me then. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers 
Agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you. That work by itself is uh, the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Uh, first of all, any lessons that you learned of on the sales side of things when you went to sell your business? And then how long before you jumped into this new venture called GreenPal? Yeah. So selling that company was one of the hardest things I've ever done in my entire life. Uh, from an emotional standpoint, a lot of my own personal identity was was wrapped up in that company. We had a culture, a really strong culture in place there with with the several hundred, you know, hundred fifty people that worked for me, mm-hmm. and kind of having to step down as their leader, as 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 the man, so to speak. I, I really loved running that business, loved providing prosperity for the people that worked for me, and and so having to like hand that over was an emotional experience that I wasn't prepared for tactically getting that business sold some mistakes i made primarily was if i could have done it again i would have embarked on a 3 to 4 year plan to sell that company and i would have groomed it differently to build it uh to sell rather than build it to be uh, a profitable lean mean you know uh, landscaping machine mm. i i would have built it differently to to it wanted to be acquired which are two different things Sure. And, sure. And, and so I made a decision from the time I made a decision to sell the business that I was ready for someone else to take it over to the time that I got the wire transfer into my bank was almost two years. And wow. yeah, it was a lot of going back and, and putting in systems in places where I didn't have them. What I came to realize while building, while selling that company was I had built this entire business as basically scaffolding around my head. And, and everything uh, came back to me. I was the hub for, for everything. And if you took me out of it, it may or may not run or prosper. And so I had to slowly layer by layer, like remove myself from many of the decision-making processes and, and, and some of the just core functions of the business I had to de- even delegate further. And it took a, w- took a while to get that done properly. And had I, had I known what I know now, I, I would have embarked on a four-year plan to, to just run it differently and, and, and actually, and actually just some of the decisions we made around growth and, and, you know, capital expenditures, expenditures that we took on that we didn't necessarily have to just groomed it differently to sell it. But, you know, you just don't know these things until you get in there and, and do, do a deal like that. Sure. And the good news is you can take those lessons and apply them to the company that you have now. Right. 
So tell me about GreenPal. How did the idea come about and what was the initial couple of items on your execution list? Yeah. So, so GreenPal was one of those obvious ideas that, that I just knew needed to exist from the 15 years I spent in the landscaping business. You wouldn't think it, but it's actually pretty hard to find a reliable lawn mowing service. If you're a homeowner and you've got your grass is two or three feet tall and you need somebody to mow the yard tomorrow, it's hard to find somebody who's got the availability, who's willing to do it at a good job at a good price. And when I was running Peachtree, my first company, we would get phone calls every day, sometimes as many as 20 or 30 phone calls a day from people wanting basic lawn mowing services. And as that company grew and scaled, we only did commercial work. We didn't do residential work anymore because it was no longer profitable for us. Hmm. But people saw our trucks. We had 70 or 80 trucks all over town. Uh, They saw our trucks. We were a local brand. Uh, So people would always call us thinking that we could come out and take care of that for them. In effect, what we would do is we would refer these phone calls to a list of, of like a handwritten list of smaller service providers in our town. And we, be, in effect, became this referral network almost. And it was kind of a pain, but it was just one of our core philosophies of running that company was to always try to add value and be helpful if, if, if we could. And so the idea was, okay, obviously it's harder for homeowners to find a good, reliable service because those, those small businesses don't have any sort of visibility. They don't have any kind of marketing budget. It's hard to find them. And so if I could build a platform that worked like an Uber or an Airbnb or a Lyft that connected these two, it would make, it would solve problems on both sides. Cause on the, on the, on the homeowner, I mean, on the lawn pro side, it's hard running that kind of business, especially from scratch. You have mm-hmm. to generate demand. You need help with your billing. You need help with your bookkeeping. You need help with all of the things that go into to running that kind of business outside of cutting grass. Mm-hmm. And so we've built a custom tool set for that landscaping professional to operate their entire business on top of our platform. And on the, on the other side of the transaction, we make a delightful experience for the homeowner to be able to hire them in 60 seconds without even making a phone call. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. So you obviously had a lot of experience in the landscaping world, but how much experience did you have in the tech world? Cause it sounds like this was more of a tech build out than a landscaping build out. No. Great question. So in short, zero, none, zilch. (laughs) And I uh, underestimated how difficult that was about to be. I literally thought when we started the bit, I I recruited two co-founders and I thought none of us knew how to code. None of us knew the first thing about designing software or building software. Mm -hmm. And we, we genuinely thought that we could pay a local shop to, to just build it and then we would be done and then we would market it. Yeah. And that was just... No, I mean, that was so far off target. (laughs) Uh, We spent $120,000 building the first version of this thing. Yeah. And after six months, I think we had like 22 users and like seven of them were were my family. (laughs) And, you know, fast forward today, we have several hundred thousand that use, that use our platform. But so that was really humbling. And what, what we came to learn was when you're building software, it's never finished. You're always iterating on top of what you've got. You're listening to users feedback. You're building out new features. You're fixing problems. You're solving things you didn't even know existed. Hmm. And so that, that was a big, big uh, misconception that I had. The other thing was, is just physically like tactically writing code, building software. My co-founder had to learn how to write code from scratch. And and he he taught himself how to become a a backend engineer over about six months period of time. 
I learned front end uh, software and, and my other co-founder learned system admin and stuff. And so we, we kind of retooled, taught ourselves from, from the ground up and built the second version in house. And then we've, we've, we've just been able to hit the ground running ever since. Now we have 23 people that work for the company, software engineers and, and designers. All so in house. All in house. Yeah. Wow. And so we're able to execute these things, but we wouldn't have been able to even get to this point if we had not have reinvented ourselves as, as entrepreneurs to sure. become tech entrepreneurs. Yeah. Props to you for even being, being willing to do that, to take that pivot at, at that point in your career. Where, where, have you guys taken on funding at this we point? Have, uh, so just taking a page out of my first playbook, we have, we have bootstrapped this thing and self-funded it the entire way. We, wow. we get two or three emails from interested investors, venture capitalists every month. And we had kindly tell them we're, we're, we're not going to be taking on any outside capital. It, for me, and the reason is, is I'm not totally anti-venture capital. You know, if you look on your phone, you know, odds are every app on that home screen was, had, took on venture capital. So, they, sure. you know, venture, VC money has built the, every big name you've ever heard of. Right. But for most entrepreneurs, taking on outside capital is a bad bet. Uh, a lot of times you're going to have to scale that business and grow it. Uh, so fast that you're going to go bust doing it. Yeah. And I saw that happen to other, what they call Uber for X businesses. So it could be Uber for home cleaning, Uber for mm. get your laundry done. Sure. Uber the entire for, industry that came right. off of Uber being successful. Yep. Back in 2014, 2015, there was a tidal wave of capital pour into those ideas. And you would read one news article where such such startup raised $15 million. And then six months later, you would read another article that they went out of business. Yeah. And so we always optimized for what we call default alive, which just means no matter what we're, we're in business, we have no debt We're we're using the revenues to grow. It sucks most of the time because you're going slower than you want to go, but you know that you're default alive. Hmm. Yeah, that's amazing. So how long now have you been in business and what's been the growth trajectory of that business? So started in 2014, really didn't get rolling until probably 2016 because the first two years was was just us trying to figure out how to build software. Wow. Uh, so two full years of like basically like a pre-launch essentially. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We The first version we launched in Nashville where we're based out of and by, by the end of the year, we had like 112 users and, and it, we, we met with every single one of those users that would meet with us so we could understand where we were letting them down, where we were actually solving problems. We used all of that, that feedback to, to continue to improve it. And that's kind of been our ethos all along is, is using user feedback on both sides of the transaction to, to understand if we're building the right things and we're, we're going in the right direction. So when you say you bootstrapped it, are, are you meaning that you only have, like you and your co-founders only used your own money and capital or did, is that also mean like you took out maybe like a line of credit or some yeah. loans or Great like, question. Just, so, cause just for somebody that, cause uh, you know, I'm kind of directing this question to address people who might be listening, who maybe like their first company is a tech company and they didn't have a successful exit recently and they're not sitting on money to be able to just like go for two years without a paycheck while they figure this thing out out like what like you know does that make sense like what what would you recommend to somebody in that situation if you if you would tell them to try not to take on venture capital how do they you know pay their bills and and live the way we did it we we took on a line of credit luckily my two co-founders and i had good personal credit 
Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so we were personally liable for this, but it was in the business's name for, we took on a line of credit for $90,000. Okay. And that got us through the first year and nobody took a salary. So my two co-founders worked, still worked their jobs at Dell computer. That's where they were. That's where they were got working. It. And got then it. nights and weekends we would hustle on this thing. When, when I sold my first company, I effectively became financially independent. I, I actually retired and took a few months off and just got yeah. bored and got back to the game. <laughs> yeah, it's but I didn't, right? I didn't have the kind of money to throw a million bucks at this thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I mean, I, I knew that I knew well, at the end and of the that day, probably wouldn't be the smart move either. Even if you'd like to add the money right. that like, that would like use, why not use other people's money? To Listen, I, 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 I started my last business weed eating and pulling weeds and picking up cigarette butts and stuff. I didn't want to go back to that. Sure. So like I knew, I knew where I came from and I knew I didn't want to go back there. And so yeah. I, I, I didn't want to, leverage all of my personal assets to build a second business. And in many ways that's been a key to our success because we've, we've had to build a profitable business from right. day one. Yep. Yeah. You, the, you can't, you can't bail out the business from your personal finances all the time right. because right. maybe it's just not a viable business. Right. Right. And that discipline is what causes you to, is, is, is causes you to take care of users, take yeah. care of, of people that use the platform on both sides. Cause if you're not doing that on a continual basis, then you won't generate the kind of profit you need to stay in business and grow. Yeah. It, for, it almost forces innovation and forces new ideas to create revenue and cash flow and Absolutely. positive customer experience because you can't just, you can't just look at your bank account and be like, all right, well, you know, we still got to have a million in there. So let's just keep going. Yeah. You can't way. go blow a hundred grand a week on Facebook ads to get new right. users. Totally. You have to think of ways to leverage the product to go get more users, yeah. which Love the latter is a lot harder, but it's more sustainable. Yeah. Love that. Love that. So, okay. I want to talk to you a little bit about uh, connection networking and that kind of stuff, uh, because this is a build your network podcast. Before we do that, talk to me about how people can help support you right now and what you see, you know, your company headed toward in the future. Yeah. So our, we've been doubling every year for the past six years. We're slated to double again this year, despite uh, everything that's going on with COVID. Congrats, uh, we're, we're expanding into the United States city by city. We're in all 50 States now. And, and if we're not in your city, we will be soon. And so uh, anybody that needs basic lawn mowing services, try it out. You'll get five free quotes back in 60 seconds. You can read reviews on the lawn care services in your town. And if one of them is a good fit for you for price and quality, you can hire them right on the spot. So Love that. if you, if, if you need this service, check it out. It's pretty cool. Awesome, man. It's cool. So let's talk a little bit about networking relationships before we wrap up here. It's always interesting to me, interesting to me to have these conversations because everybody I interview comes from so many different industries and there's so many different fields that are represented, but it seems like everybody still has this one thing in common, which is the importance of building relationships and being successful at cultivating real genuine connections with other people. And, and that's obviously been present in your journey, just even with the co-founders that you had with this, with, with GreenPal. So talk to me about how you view the importance of relationship building and how much your network affects your ability to be successful in whatever you, the field is that you're in. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a great question. I think sometimes I do some coaching for some small business owners and entrepreneurs here in Nashville. And I think sometimes, especially this new generation over indexes on networking because they think they think somebody's going to like put them on mm. and, and they think if I can just meet so-and-so, then I'll be successful. And that's just not how it works. However, if, if let's say you you're grinding and you just got tenacity and, and you're in like, and you're just working your butt off, then you get introduced to the right 
person. It can be like a, like a force multiplier. Yes. It can like be like accelerator. Right. It can be a fulcrum. And, and it's like turning on the NOS. Yeah. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. And so if you can approach it that way and just like, just be in hustle mode, especially in those, in those early years, starting your business, people will take notice of that, which also helps when it comes to networking. Yeah. So for me, like all of my success, like 80, 90% of my success is stems back to just, I'm not the smartest dude, but like, you know, it's that Will Smith quote, like, you're not going to outwork me. I'm, mm. I'm just a hustler. I'm just a hustler, man. And so like, uh, so like most of my success is attributed to that and the people I've had around me. And, and then, and then I, at times like that hard work has created luck when it comes to networking. And yeah. one, one just quick story about that, like going back to my first business, trying to grow that business uh, and get out of the residential market into the commercial market is really tough because if you have no commercial clientele, you won't get any. It's like a chicken and egg problem. Nobody yeah, wants to take right. a, nobody wants to take a gamble on you. And uh, I was able to pick up a residential client who who was a McDonald's franchiser, and he had a commercial had, client. You mean? Well, no, he, he I was doing his personal residence. Oh, okay, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, so, yep. and so for two years mowing his personal residence like at below cost because I knew he he owned two McDonald's. Mm. After two years of doing that and like begging him to let me have the opportunity at the commercial work, he finally did. And, and so we took on those two commercial properties and made those things shine. And one thing we did differently than, than any other a commercial landscape maintenance companies in town was we would pick up all the cigarette butts in the drive through every time we went to mow. Hmm. And that was one little thing that we did differently. And he took notice of that. He liked it so much that he introduced me and, and brought me to the, the franchisers networking meeting, which was at the Opryland Hotel in Nashville. I'll never forget it. Wow. And I was 26 years old, having to wear a suit and having to go pitch these these wealthy McDonald's franchise owners on on our little package, our little program. And out of that, I was able to meet like 10 other franchisers and ultimately close two or three of those. And then long term, it led to picking up McDonald's corporate as a major client that was wow. able to propel the business. So just that one little meeting, like getting this guy, you know, it was a $35 a week lawn mowing like building a relationship with him, show, proving to him that, that I had the type of acumen to take care of his, his commercial properties and then getting that opportunity, not blowing it. And it's like slowly like yeah. building it up to that moment where I could get in front of those other ones really was one of the things that propelled my business. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's like, this goes to the value of, of networking combined with actual execution. Yeah, sure. Core competencies, right? Right. Like things that you do better than other people, that slight edge mentality where you just did that one little extra thing that took maybe three more minutes, right? Like go pick up the cigarette butts. That's it. But that's that slight edge that allows you to capitalize on the connections that you're making, man. Such a great story. So let me ask you this question. It's the one I ask every guest that comes on the show, who you know, or what you know, Brian, which of those two is more important and why? you know, a lot of it, it depends on, you know, if you're in entertainment, you know, if you're trying to become the next big uh, rap star or movie star or something, maybe it does matter about who you know, but in my world and in my experience, it's more about what you know and what you do. And then, and then who, you know, when that time comes Hmm. and that who, you know, could be, anything it could be a banker it could be it could be a potential type of customer it could be a mentor i would say like 60 40 or 70 30 execution and what you know 
and then and then combine with who you know. Now you can't you can't have one at the expense of other. You have to have sure. both. Yeah. But I just can't say it enough that nobody's going to quote I'm making air quotes here, put you on. Hmm. Uh, you're not going to network your way to success. The networking is going to be a cherry on top of everything else you're doing from my experience. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And that, that's why I asked the question that, that I, that I asked like that, man, because you know, when I first started the show, I thought everybody was just going to say who, you know, and then we would just agree. And then we'd talk about networking for a while, you know, right. but uh, you come to find out that, you know, it, it it's based on what you've experienced and, and, and what you have seen work and, and in your, you know, in your, in your business and things. So I appreciate you for coming on the show, Brian, before we take off here, what would be the best place for listeners to be able to go connect with you? Yeah, shoot me an email, Brian, B-R-Y-A-N at yourgreenpal.com. Brian at yourgreenpal.com. I, I respond to every email. So whatever it is, just shoot me an email. I'll be happy to connect with you. Guys, take advantage of these opportunities. Like literally you're hearing from somebody who's run several successful businesses and he's giving you his email address for goodness sakes. Like reach out, ask him a question, like get to know him, like maybe bring him on your podcast or something, but reach out and say thank you for uh, coming on the show today. That's Brian, B-R-Y-A-N at yourgreenpal.com. Brian, thanks so much for coming on the show today, man. Had a blast chatting with you. Hey, my pleasure, Travis. I did too. Well, that's it for today's show. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you want more advanced networking strategies, as well as an instant network upgrade, then consider partnering with my BYN Inner Circle Mastermind. There are already dozens of high quality entrepreneurs in the group, dozens of video lessons on networking, monthly calls, there's accountability crews, and more, all for the low investment of just $99 a month. So head over to BYNInnerCircle.com to jump in. That's BYNInnerCircle.com. Thanks so much for joining us on today's show. We'll see you next time. And remember to leave every relationship better than you found it. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.